wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. From being someone who struggled to read at school, to now having read thousands of books and written more than a dozen herself, my guest today is a remarkable woman who you'll love meeting. You can follow Bleeding Daylight wherever you listen to podcasts to ensure that you don't ever miss an episode. Please share episodes with your friends and make sure you connect with us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Mani Swedberg is an international leadership mentor, the author of 13 books, the host of her own radio talk show, a media expert and a keynote speaker for organisations around the world. She has trained, coached and mentored over 15,000 leaders from 35 countries. And if you're exhausted just hearing about Marnie's schedule, get ready for more, a lot more. It's an honour to have her on Bleeding Daylight today. Thank you so much for your time. Rodney, it's so great to be here. <laughs> we know that we're often shaped by our early years and our upbringing. Can you pinpoint anything in your early years that may have given you this drive to seek all the things that you've achieved to this point in life? Well, I guess I was a pretty strong-willed child. My parents said that by the age of two, they had stopped. They'd kind of given up on spanking me to correct me. They had to get very creative <laughs> in how they, how they uh, trained me because I just wasn't responding to normal corrective measures. I just had a really strong will, still do. And I'm really grateful for parents who, instead of viewing that as a really bad thing. They viewed it as this child has a strong will. Anyway, my parents really nurtured that. And uh, my mom was a big scripture memory verse gal. She she had us memorizing verses from the time I was tiny, tiny. So I think those two things probably, and, and the prayers of my parents. <laughs> it was a good upbringing, a, a safe home to be in, but that doesn't mean that you didn't encounter some issues along the way. I think that my challenges started in school. I, I couldn't really learn how to read. And I was forwarded through every grade, but I didn't really learn how to read until I was an adult, where I could actually just relax and read. It was always a struggle for me. All of my years in school were challenging, were just very difficult. I hated school. I couldn't hardly wait to be a grown-up. <laughs> what do you think it was? Was there just some way in that your brain worked that it didn't handle traditional education? What, what do you think it was? So what happened is when I became an adult, got married, had children, I wanted to homeschool them because my time in school was so difficult. I really wanted to homeschool my own children. And so I started homeschooling them. My first two kids were able to just learn how to read like everybody else. And my third son, my, my third child, he was more like me. He was not able to just learn how to read like the normal person can. In most classrooms, you have, you know, the majority of the kids can just pick it up with Tom and Jane and all that, see spot run. And so what happened with my third child is that he's now getting out of third grade, going into fourth grade, still really struggling to read. And I was desperate. I thought I have got to help this boy <laughs> because I knew I, I knew I learned how to read later. And so there was a way. 
but I didn't know how to do it. One of the girls who had been in my mentoring group when she was younger, she had gone on to get a master's degree and she was teaching high school students who had not learned how to read yet. So they'd been pushed through the system all the way. They get into high school. They still don't know how to read. And she was in a private school and they put her in, put them in her class. And within a year, they'd be reading at the adult level. And so I reached out to Rachel and I said, what are you doing? I have to have help here. She introduced me to the Lynn Belmood method, which I was able to take some training in. And my son, who going into fourth grade, really couldn't read. By the time he was in fifth grade, he was reading 400 page books. And as I was teaching him and learning the system myself, I was like, well, no wonder I couldn't read. And so there are just brains that are formulated differently than other brains and just need a little more help understanding the concepts behind it. And this applies to all areas of life. Some things come so easily for one person and another person just really struggles or really isn't really equipped to ever learn it or be able to do it at that level. In your coaching and mentoring, I'm sure that you're meeting with people and you can see that potential and it's just a way that you need to find to uncover that. And you must have many of those aha moments with those people that you're mentoring where they start to exceed even their their own expectations of what they might have achieved. I think the key that I keep going back to with everybody all the time is the uniqueness. So if you look at your thumb right now, uh, you have one inch there of your whole body that is so unique that it could convict you of a crime in a court of law just one inch of your body. So when you think of how God spun together your three billion base pair of DNA, he did it in a particular way. And that's going to give you strengths and weaknesses that are unique to you. So as we try to compare ourselves with other people and do it their way or try to be like them, we find ourselves just struggling and really frustrated. But as we uh, settle into and really learn to appreciate and embrace how God created us uniquely, that's when we're able to really excel in what God created us to do. So if you were a bicycle and you were like a awesome, like in the Olympics, you know, you're like that kind of a bicycle. You're just the best bicycle ever. But then you see a race car and you're like, wow, I can't even hardly go fast at all compared to that. But then the race car sees a jet plane and thinks, oh, man, I'm so slow. But then the jet plane sees a a shuttle and says, wow, I can't get off the earth. That's how we act. We act like we're supposed to be able to do anything that anybody else can do. But as we come to really love, appreciate, and embrace how God created us to be, what we're here to do, that's when we get the freedom to really excel at what God created us to do instead of feeling frustrated and limited and locked down because we're trying to be something that he never created us to be. Most of us struggle with that internal voice, that self-talk, that internal monologue that is always ready to put us down. And I'm wondering how that young girl who couldn't learn to read well and must have thought, oh, there's something not right with me. How did you cross the bridge from there to being the person who says, you know what, I'm going to help unlock potential in thousands of others? How did you overcome that? It's a process for sure. 
I think that the most important thing for me was my faith in Jesus Christ, because he says that I was wonderfully made. He formed me in my mother's womb. And so whatever weaknesses I have, I like to teach my leaders that I work with, I like to teach that your greatest strength will always be your greatest weakness. So when you see a great weakness, like, I couldn't learn how to read, (laughs) you know, I mean, I just couldn't do it. That was a great, great weakness. Well, now, if you look at my life now, later, I've written 13 books. Even I would say more important than having written 13 books, I have read thousands of books. Because when I was finally able to read and understand what I was reading and do it quickly and for enjoyment, you couldn't stop me. I read hundreds and hundreds of books back to back and just absorbed it all. So all of that learning that I missed growing up because I was focused on just trying to sound out words, I gained back in multiples of that as an adult. I think that what we what we tend to do is we tend to say, if I have a weakness, that that holds me back. But I think how God looks at it is more like if you envision somebody on a diving board, you go to the end of the diving board at the swimming pool, you walk out to the end and you just plop down in the water and you have one result. But if you go to the end of the board and you jump and you take the board down and you go up and then you jump again and you take the board down and it goes up, at that point, you're able to get a higher leap and a bigger splash than you do if you just jump off the end with no down. As we're here on planet Earth, and this isn't how heaven is, but on planet Earth, the down is actually, God often and always can use the down to create a bigger up and a bigger splash. And so that's James 1. In essence, you know, count it all joy when you're going down, because God's got a great big up and a huge splash coming. (laughs) And you have had some challenges along the way. You've been through fires and floods, a tornado, car wrecks, and and all sorts of other things. And then, of course, we come to business. And this is something that you're excelling in, and yet you've had business setbacks as well. How do you get through all of these, keep coming up and saying, I've just got to go again, and actually help others to, to come to terms with these things? Uh, I think a lot about uh, Paul saying, you know, about being content, learning to be content wherever you're at. Winston Churchill has a great quote where he says, uh, success is moving from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. And so I feel like a lot of people say, especially a few years back, there was a big deal about how if you had negative things in your life, it was because you were attracting them and it was you were responsible and all that. And I, I agree with that to some extent. I think that a lot of that is just hooey. It's just like, oh, come on. The people in Afghanistan right now, or the people in Haiti right now, are they responsible actually for what's happening to them? Did they choose where they were born? You know, I mean, it's a lot of these things just happen because you're in the world and it's happening to you. And so the choice that we have then is to rebel, to maybe even lust after, to covet other people's circumstances and situations, or to say, this is where God has me today. He can bring good out of anything. So I'm going to choose to look for the good. There was a time 
several years ago, Rodney, when I was really discouraged, I felt like everything I tried to do turned out bad. And even when I was trying to do good things for people, like help them, it turned out bad. And I got to the point where I really was discouraged. And I came, I came to this picture of, uh, we had a flower garden in our front yard that my husband had built. And it was beautiful, but it actually only worked because of the soil. It actually only worked if in the spring, he would go to a farm and get manure. And he would bring back that stinky, gross manure, and he would put that manure in the garden, and then boom, the flowers would grow. And so I started praying this prayer before I would get up any day. I would say, God, the only reason I'm going to get out of bed today is because you're going to take my missteps, my mistakes, and my misspoken words, and you're going to turn them into beautiful flower gardens. And because I can trust you for that, I get up. We think it's about performance or about our circumstances or about how well we're doing today. And from God's perspective, it's about dependence, how much I'm depending on him today. Does that make sense? It does, and yet it's a very different narrative to what we're hearing from a lot of people who would be talking about self-help and motivation because a lot of the time they're saying, hey, you've got this deep inside yourself, just as you were saying with attracting good things and, and deciding I don't want the bad things and then pretending that somehow that makes it happen when we know that there are circumstances beyond our control, as, as you've just mentioned. So you're telling a different narrative. I'm wondering how well that goes down in some business circles who have been fed on this steady diet of uh, you, you just are what you think. And as you say, there, there's some truth in that, but it's not the whole truth. And that you can make yourself better by just thinking it and standing in front of a mirror and telling yourself <laughs> how good you are. You're saying, no, no, don't rely on yourself. Rely on this higher power. Rely on God. Mm-hmm in a time when relying on other people is not popular. How does that go down in some places? (laughs) Well, when it isn't going well, what I like to do is um, do a little analogy or kind of a word picture. So if you imagine a baby coming into the world, this baby is completely dependent on its parents. It can't feed itself. It can't change itself. It can't move from place to place. Its parents do everything for it. And the goal of the parent is to raise the child to become an independent adult, right? So that's our goal. We want to train them up so that they can go out, make their own living, help support society, all those things. That's our goal. Now, when we think of God, God has the exact opposite goal for us. We come into a relationship with God extremely independent. And you think about the independence of a two-year-old who knows how to say no, my way, me do it. Uh, you know, we're very independent. And by the time we realize that there is a God and He loves us and that He wants to have a personal relationship with us through Jesus, we come to Him with all of that independence in place. And God's goal for us is that we become totally dependent on Him, more like a baby. Our brains have a hard time to do that. I do a lot of work with habit. And if you think of a habit, it's the repetition, maybe thousands or even millions or billions of times of the same thought or the same process or the same direction. And so trying to 
unwind this habit of independence from God, where we're doing everything and He's helping us, or we're trying to please Him, or we're trying to perform ourselves into His good graces, to unwind that takes a lot of time. And I feel like what happens is when people begin to really understand what's available to them, this life of freedom and of just letting God flow through us instead of us doing stuff to earn heaven or something, I feel like there comes a moment and even sometimes tears, the relief, (laughs) Rodney, just plain the relief of it, that you come to realize, oh, I don't have to always do it perfect. I didn't cause all of these hard things in my life. I am not responsible for everybody else. I get to live free in Christ and experience everything he has for me. And this dependence that you're talking about, it's not just this this old idea of let go and let God, where some people will just give up and it's like, well, God can mm-hmm. make it happen. There's still that sense of being faithful and diligent in the things that we're called to do, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. Whenever somebody goes there, you know, <laughs> with me, I always like to say, well, here's my question. Would you ever lay in bed in the morning and trust God to get your clothes on your body? I mean, come on. It's just obvious that we have a part to play here. And even the apostle says in uh, the New Testament, one of the writers says, we strive with superhuman energy to accomplish the works of Christ. So there's hard work involved. It's not like you just lay around and wait for God to do it. But the difference is, and I'm going to use the straw analogy here. I wrote a book called Flow Through Vessel, Flow Through Vessel, because um, the people I was working with are like, okay, I get it, but I, I just need more. I need to understand this more. And so I give a whole bunch of analogies in that book about how this works, this dependence on God. The straw analogy is when we're drinking a beverage out of a cup and we put a straw into the beverage, the only thing that comes out of the straw is what was in the cup. So if I put the straw into a cold, refreshing beverage, that's awesome. But if I happen to put the straw into poison, then the person sucking on the straw gets poison. And it doesn't have anything to do with the straw, really, right? (laughs) The straw is just doing its job. It's being the flow-through vessel for whatever's in the cup. I feel like a lot of leaders, a lot of Christians, a lot of people feel like it's our responsibility to come up with what's in the cup. It's not really. Our responsibility as the straw is to be submerged in the right cup. (laughs) So if you, if you were to say, okay, I am a Christian. I love God. And when people suck on my life because I spend time with God and I'm filled with the Spirit and I have the fruit of the Spirit, when people suck on my life, they get God. Wow, that's amazing. Now, did I create God or make that happen like that? No, but was I submerged in the right thing to get that result to other people? Yes. Now, let's say that I go out of fellowship with God. He's still in me, but I'm really not tapped into him. I'm just tapped into however good I can do. Now, when somebody sucks on my life, they get whatever they get, the best I can do. And when I run dry, they get whatever that looks like. And sometimes that's just anger, bitterness, stress, whatever it is. 
There is so much freedom, Rodney, in actually becoming totally dependent on God, staying submerged in Him, recognizing that, yeah, I have a responsibility here, but it's not what I thought. I thought I had to do all this myself and please God. Instead, what I get to do is trust God and let Him flow through me. And the most beautiful part of this is that we can never give away something we don't have. So if someone else needs peace, if I don't have it, I can't give it. So who gets peace first? Me. If somebody else needs a million dollars and I don't have it, I can't give it to them. If God wants to flow a million dollars through me to them, guess who gets it first? Me. (laughs) So this is like the best, most awesome, exciting way to live that's possible. And when people come to realize that this is available to them, it's shocking, overwhelming, and deeply exciting. And that dependence also brings another benefit, and that is rest, which is not something that is often talked about in the business world because you can't afford to rest. You've got to keep working, and yet God calls us into rest. Is that one of those other things that you're (laughs) able to to tell people about? And, And suddenly there's that, oh, thank goodness, I never thought I'd ever get that rest. Many, many years ago, my platter was full. I was homeschooling. I was the women's ministry director. I was on the worship team. I was teaching Sunday school. I had a girls club in my home. I was the Iwana director for fifth grade. I mean, it was like, uh, I was, uh, my platter was full. And then God put in my heart that I needed to do another thing. And it was a time-consuming thing. And I just, I remember just arguing with him about, okay, so what's going to go then? And he's like, no, you're going to keep doing everything you're doing. We're going to add this to the pile. (laughs) I was like, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. I really wrestled with it back and forth for a while, but it wouldn't go away. Rodney, it was like, I knew I was supposed to do it. And I also knew I couldn't. So I finally realized one day, That God being the micro and the macro time manager that he is, you know, he's orchestrating all of time and eternity. And if he wanted me to do something that there wasn't time to do, then obviously he was thinking about time differently than I was. And so I said, okay, I'm going to say yes to this, but I'm going to do it on this one condition that you take care of my time because there's no time to do this. I, I mean, I'm really an organized person and I could, I knew this would push me over the edge. I said, I will put away my watch. I will put away my clock. I will only trust you to know when to do what to do. And that's how we're going to roll because otherwise this is not going to work. <laughs> so the other thing that happened simultaneously was that God put in my heart that I needed to take Sunday as a day of rest, or if I couldn't do Sunday, a different day, a whole day of rest. Well, the combination of that was just completely ridiculous, impossible. And so I just had to step out by faith and do it. The first six weeks of living without a watch or a clock was absolutely insane. It was like a baby learning how to walk for six weeks as an adult. And I would like wake up and I would think it was morning and I'd get up and I'd shower up and then I'd go ha- sit in a chair in the living room in the dark and do my, you know, devotions or whatever. And then I'd be like, wow, it's still dark. I don't, I don't know. And then I'd realize it's two in the morning. You know I mean? It's like, I didn't know how to hear God. I couldn't figure it out. But over the process of those weeks, I began to understand how to hear God. And sometimes he would wake me up and say, it's time to get up. Sometimes it would be, come away with me. 
Sometimes it would be, get up now. I learned how to hear God in a different way. That became my natural rhythm of life is for God to orchestrate things. It was crazy. Sometimes I would think, how am I going to you know, get to appointments on time and stuff? But God is completely able to do that. What else happened is that I didn't realize it, but we were going to, in the future, we were going to buy a couple of businesses a store, a retail store, a huge retail store, 12 departments, and also a restaurant with 28 employees. And I was going to manage those. And I had no idea that I needed that day of rest and that I needed this much dependence on God in order to make all that work. So when you say, the other thing you get is rest, Oh my goodness, such amazing rest. And I just go to sleep every night. You know, I fall asleep in the arms of God. How was it with me today? How was it with us today? And God corrects me or just puts me to sleep. And I wake up thinking of him. Good morning, daddy. And, and that's how, that's how I rule. But I know for sure, Ronnie, one thing, if God wouldn't have put that day of rest in my life before I got to the most intense season of my life, I really feel like I would be dead. I don't think I could have done it. It was so intense. A lot of times it was all-nighters and um, just so, so intense. So I think that rest is so important. And then to recognize that when you're not resting, sometimes you're running. I've heard some people talk about what they say are biblical business principles, but oftentimes Mm -hmm. it's just trying to turn God into a formula so that they can have more financial success. Yet what I'm hearing from you is different. What I'm hearing from you is that, Each time you're called on to do something more, you push deeper into God. How do you ensure that you keep doing that and you don't start just seeing God as a way to get to your next milestone? A couple of things are coming to my mind. So first of all, God is not like a toy or a Santa or he's, he's huge. I mean, he's He's a creator of the universe. And he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't play well as far as if you're trying to, you know, up one up him or make him do something you want. It's simply impossible. You can't fake him out. Like you can, you can actually lie to yourself. You can lie to other people, but you can't really ever lie to God. He knows. I think answering your question is that I have, I just have a very, (laughs) a very clear, a very clear picture of the sovereignty and the power of God. And I would no more try to fake him out than I would stand on a train track with a locomotive coming at me with my arms out in front of me thinking, oh, I can stop it because I decide I can. It's just ridiculous. I mean, God is just huge. The fact that he has any consideration of us at all, let alone that he loves us, that he sent Jesus to die for us, that he thinks of us as many as the sand on the seashore. I mean, you know, these things are completely humbling and overwhelming, and I can't even fathom trying to manipulate God. These talents and skills that he has built inside you that you are using so well have taken you to some amazing places. I believe you've been right around the world. Tell me about this this tour of the world. Oh my goodness, that was so amazing. Um, so right before COVID, literally I circumnavigated the globe and I went all by myself. I only had the courage to do that, Rodney, because a friend of mine who is blind, I was interviewing her on my radio show one day and she said that she had traveled um, to another country by herself. And I said, 
you're blind and you didn't speak that language. How did you do that? (laughs) And she goes, well, I mean, I wasn't really alone. God was with me. And I said, wait a second. Okay, so I know God was with you, but how did you do it? She was quiet. And then she goes, you know what, Marnie? I think it's easier for me. So here's my blind friend telling me it's easier for me to travel around the world alone. I said, how could it possibly be easier for you? She said, well, you with your eyes can tell if someone is beside you. Me being blind, I can't. I have to take that by faith either way. So it's no difference to me to travel with God or to travel with you, except that God is a better travel partner. And that blew my brain, Rodney. It was like, I had never even conceived of the thought of traveling alone anywhere, let alone around the world. I spoke 26 times at six conferences in four countries and just watched God do amazing things. If God is calling you to something, have faith in God. Do it. It sounds like you have an enormous capacity, and that's only been built there by God. But there are some people that have a greater capacity or or lesser capacity. I'm wondering how we actually work out what that capacity is, because we know people in business and just in their normal work lives can often suffer from fade out and and even burnout. But then there are also people in ministry, and we hear so often of people in ministry because there are so many good tasks to do. What are some of the things that we need to keep in mind when we see another good thing and another good thing and (laughs) another good thing and how we decide which of these are we going to take on? So first, I want to just address the two kinds of burnout. So the one kind of burnout is that God is preparing you to do something different. And so he will actually remove the energy to keep doing what you've been doing you'll find that doors start closing, that you just have a harder time to be able to do it. And this is God moving you to the next thing. A lot of times in scripture, he uses persecution to move people around. I mean, that's, you're burned right out. Uh, So uh, this is a, a godly pattern. But then there's the other one that you've simply got your straw in the wrong bucket. You have moved your straw out of the God energy bucket and into the your own energy bucket. And the reality with that one is if people don't keep giving you what you think you need or what you need, then you are going to run out of gas. If you want to do something supernatural and keep doing that, you need to stay submerged in the supernatural. You cannot do supernatural without God. And so if you're feeling burned out, test the water there. Where am I getting my energy from? Am I getting burned out because people aren't feeding me the way that they used to and I've grown dependent on being fed by people? Or am I really submerged in Christ and I'm getting everything from Him but it's time for me to move on. And so that's one of the things. And then when it comes to like ideas, I have this whole program I do called Idea Gold. And it's how to actually, it's how to actually identify um, which ideas you should go for. And I like to think of like a radio station. You know, you're in your car, you reach over, you're looking for a radio station to listen to. And what do you do? You hear all these options, right? Going by. You've got, uh, you know, rap, and then you've got country, and then you've got news, and then you've got, you know, all this different stuff. And you're going to stop at the radio station that resonates with you today, right then. All of those radio waves are in the air all the time around us, but we're usually not tuning in. 
So what happens with ideas is ideas fly by. They're all around us. I mean, millions of ideas are all around us, but we have to decide which one we're going to tune into. And the way that we do that is by being clear about who we are, what we're here to do. You know, I do a whole training on mission vision because it's so important for you to really embrace and be grateful for who you are. If you're trying to be a jet plane, but God created you to be a a bicycle, you're just going to be frustrated every day of your life and vice versa. How do we start to learn that when we're so often looking at other people and saying, I wish I had that talent? Do you think it's sometimes because we're just completely missing the talent that God has given us? We don't even recognize that we're a fast bicycle because we could use that, but we, we see and we yearn for something other? It is all about that. You know, when Eve was in the garden and Satan was tempting her, he just tempted her with something a little bit more than she had. He just said, you know, you've got it perfect here. It's perfect here. But there is one more thing you could have. If you eat this apple, you could have one more thing. <laughs> and I think that's still what trips us all up today. We just want one more thing. Just, just, just a little bit better than we have. Just a little bit different than we have. And coming to that point of contentment, which we talked about at the beginning of our conversation, I think learning to be content with how God built you, where he has you, whose lives he has you in, who he has in your life, learning to be content with all of that and to let him use you where you are. I mean, I just talked to a friend yesterday. He was witnessing to a nurse that was serving him while he was getting chemo. And she got tears in her eyes and she's like, wow you got to tell this story to people. And he looked at her and he said, I am. I'm telling it to you. That's why God has me here. So he could embrace the fact that he has chemo. <laughs> he has cancer. He's going in for a chemo radiation treatment because he has the opportunity to witness to the people that are around him there. We don't want that. We want to look like somebody who has their life all together, but actually it's all a mirage. Nobody has their life all together. <laughs> so just stick with Jesus and do what he puts in your life. <laughs> We've mentioned that you've written 13 books and you did touch on one of those books. Tell me about some of those others. What are the things that drive you to, to put things down on paper? Hmm. I think, first of all, because I didn't learn to read as a child, um, when I started to read, I was absolutely amazed that authors would take sometimes years or even decades to write a book that exposed to me, to others, what was in their head, what they had experienced and learned, what was in their heart, showed us how to do something better, how to understand God better, how to experience life at a different level. And I just fell in love with authors and, and with books and, and just was so amazed that, you know, I could borrow it from the library for free or pay $20 and have access to this person's history and brain. And so when people started asking me a question and, and God has um, done this pretty similarly throughout the years, all of a sudden a bunch of people will ask me the same question, uh, rephrased in different words, but the same kind of question. And so I have written several books in response to that. First, I try to find a book that answers their question for them because that's much easier than writing it myself. But if I can't find it, then I write the book. Just at the beginning of COVID, I wrote the Heaven Trilogy. That's available on Amazon. It's an Amazon short read. 
It talks about heaven. It talks about hell. And it talks about the reality that we can experience a lot of tasting heaven on earth if we choose to stay submerged in Jesus Christ. And so that, that's been my last most fun production. How does your family or does your family keep up with you? I've always said that my husband runs circles around me. Literally, we are energizer bunnies. All of us just like crazy nutso. <laughs> so my husband's just an amazing person. He can do anything. He can build a house. He can fix a car. He can paint a car. He can do all the electrical and the plumbing. He's also great with computers. He's uh, got a master's degree and he's been in HR for his whole life. And I mean, he's just, he's just an amazing, amazing person who just loves God with his whole heart. And then our oldest son partnered with the guy who was launching a business. And that's just, a, they, they took that to multi-million right away. He's he's building his own business now to help others take their businesses into the millions. And then my daughter became a director at a at a large uh, international corporation before she turned thirty. And our son is right now in the military, going for special forces. And I'm surrounded by <laughs> by people just like me. <laughs> I guess there's a key for your kids. They're seeing you and your husband where. When nothing seems to be impossible, sure, there are roadblocks along the way and sure, there are things to overcome, but they see that they're not going to hold you back. So they think, well, yeah, I'm going to have a go at this and I'll probably do all right. It must be incredibly satisfying for the both of you, you and your husband, to see your children growing up in this way. It is really fun. And I think all things are possible through Christ, but I don't think I can do all things. I, I don't think I can become a pro basketball player. I don't think I can jump off a cliff and fly. I don't think I can do a lot of things. There are a whole lot of things that are impossible for me. But what God created me to do, how he strung together my DNA, what he put in my heart to do, those works that he assigned to me before I was ever born— those are absolutely possible for me. And walking in Him, nothing that He desires and created me to do is impossible. And I think that's what we train our kids to believe. Who you are, how you are, you can fully be everything God created you to be. And strangely, that is a countercultural message. We hear so many people who are trying to motivate us by saying, you can be anything you want to be. You can be anything you desire to be. If you can dream it, then you can achieve it. As you say, you're not going to be a pro basketballer. You're not going to be all those things, but it doesn't matter because you get to be who God has created you to be. And that's the most satisfying, isn't it? It is. You know, just yesterday, I'm on a lot of social media platforms. I hope you guys find me there. Uh, yesterday, I was just sharing, you know, I love my garbage man. I love my dentist. I love my accountant. But I could never be them. Please don't make me be them. <laughs> just let me love them. <laughs> you know, as we realize and embrace that we are all created differently, this is where we stop being, you know, rude to people of a different race, of a different, of a different ethnicity, of a different handicapped person or an older person or a younger person or whatever you want to say. As we recognize that everybody on planet Earth has a reason for being here right now. And even you guys that are listening to my voice right now, you 
are so necessary. We need you, but we don't need you to be something you were never created to be and bash your head against the wall the whole life. We need you to recognize who you are, how you're created, and to fully live into that because God puts you on planet Earth to accomplish specific work and we all need you to do that. God is looking for you to do that because not only are you needed, but he knows that that's where you will be the happiest. You will be so satisfied and fulfilled when you do the work you were created to do. And we're promised freedom, and that's true freedom. It has been so good to talk to you. And I know that there will be people that are wanting to chase you down. You mentioned that people can find you on social media. Where's the easiest place for people to find you, grab hold of your books, and, and get in touch with you? Yeah, if you just go to my website, it's my name, Marnie, M-A-R-N-I-E dot com, just Marnie.com and everything and all the links are there. That's the easy way to do it. And I will put links to that website in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net so you can get the details there as well. Marnie, we could talk forever, but I just want to thank you so much for spending some time with us today on Bleeding Daylight. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I love what you're doing, Rodney. It's so encouraging. And for you guys who are listening, I just encourage you that Bleeding Daylight, you know, there's a there's a new song that's out. Um, that there's another in the fire talking about the three boys and they talk about the clouds thinning between earth and heaven. And I love Bleeding Daylight because that's the thing is that as you experience God more in your life, you live more in the sun. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.